0: All right, we've got a couple of real brief things to do in our ministry moments to remind you of some of the activities uh, that are going on in the church and update you on those that we need to be praying for and working towards. And the very first thing that I want to do is to remind you of something in your bulletin. There's a couple of things in your bulletin, but the one that I want to talk to you about is your mission prayer guide for the 2020 Missouri Missions Offering. This is called the Reuben South offering. And our goal I think is $1,500. And you have an envelope right there. All of this money goes to do mission work in the state of Missouri. And as we give a portion of what God has blessed us with, we're able to have a ministry outside of our local community within our state. And we're able to help others come to know Christ. So please pray about your gift Um, What you do is you put your check or your cash in here or whatever you want to put in there. I don't think you could put other valuables in there, but you can do whatever you want. And in the back, I wanted to remind you, just outside of the two back doors here is a box that is our offering box. And we want you to put this. Now, this is not your tithe to the church. This is over and above your giving to support the work of the church. And so you would fill this out and put it in. Uh, the box out there, but you're not totally done. We want you to take this home and starting today, day number one here, uh, we want you to pray, read this little thing here, this little article, when inmates become missionaries, this is the uh, Hannibal LaGrange um, College or university's prison extension campus, and they go into the local prison to help the, the inmates about Christ and help them study the Bible. And grow his faithful disciples in Jesus Christ so what we want you to do is pray for that today and then we have every day all the way up through uh, day 8 which would be next Sunday coming you've got something to think about and pray about uh, for which the Missouri missions help support uh, that kind of statewide uh, ministry that you have the opportunity when you give so as you give take this home if you're not going to do it today take it home pray through this and then come and bring your gift next Sunday we will be taking it up pretty much the end of all September and our goal is $1,500 so we want to remind you of that a quick word too about ministry uh, is the fact that your church needs your help in ministry Uh, we need to support the church because of the covid virus we don't take up an offering like we used to but we do have several different ways to receive your tithes and your offerings uh, one of which is online, which is, in the, in the the I think, in the bulletin, and some more information can be had about that if you have some questions. Of course, you can mail it to the church, but there's also a box outside the door where you can take your offering for your church and put it in there. We need to make our budget and pray about making that budget so that we can continue to do the work uh, that the church is called to do. Now, you're going to have an opportunity coming up, and this is near the end of the a year and you're gonna have an opportunity to come coming up to pray for the budget and finance committee as they pray about establishing a new budget for 2021. I know it's not yet here, but we're gonna be working on that. So please be mindful of the church and support the church and pray for the church and pray for the committees that have been tasked with the responsibility of doing the work of the church, including the budget and finance committee as the Lord blesses us. I know that the virus has made it a little different and we're kind of all jumbled up, but uh, as we pray, God will bless us as we support our church. So those two things, the Missouri Missions offering and your regular offering would be very helpful. Now, a very important thing in the bulletin is your uh, nominations for the Providence Baptist Church Uh, transitional focus team a couple of things that we're going to do in the transitional process will be big church-wide events but much of what we do will be working through with this focus team on some of the nitty-gritty things and other things that we need to do so we need you to pray seriously for um, this group this group will basically become some of your great leaders in the church and they already are some of your great leaders but Uh, We're also hoping and praying that they will help the church grow in the years to come. You're making investments in them. So you want to be able to pick someone who, uh, as I have there, is a committed and supportive church member, respected by the congregation. Uh, They have to be committed to seeking God's will for providence. Uh, We don't want somebody who's only after their own agenda or some other agenda. We really want to see what God's will will do. Uh, dedicated to the spiritual and physical growth. They want the church to grow deeper and wider, not one or the other, but just both in God's grace and in his will, and also willing to be trained and to complete assignments. So there'll be times when we have a regular monthly meeting and then subgroup meetings and some assignments that need to be done throughout the process. I think that once this process is finished, I really believe God is going to do a mighty and great thing. I think he's going to do some mighty and great things on the way because he's a great God. Amen. Amen. But I really believe he can do a lot with us. So please pray about this. If you are confident, you know the five people you want to, uh, to do it, just fill it out after the church service. Either hand it to me or put it in the offering box out there and we'll get, or the secretary, will get it together And we'll be uh, sharing with you the results of the the nominating process as we select and get to that committee. We will ask everyone who is nominating if they're willing to serve. So as you write their names down, also pray that they'll be willing to serve and help us out through this time. It's very important that we do that. If you have any questions, please see me after the church service, and that will be exciting to do. Now, uh, we're planning to have two... Or three, I think maybe three listening sessions. We, we kind of told the church that we we're going to have some listening sessions. Uh, listening sessions are time that we can come together and ask uh, thoughtful questions and share some things. Um, not detrimental, but positive and encouraging things for our church. And it, gets, uh, it gives us an opportunity to have a voice. Baptists always like to have a voice. They might fight together, but they'll be happy when they at least express their feelings, you know. And, uh, well, anyway, go on. And the Baptists are Baptists, you know, those Baptist business meetings. But anyway, this is a listening session. And uh, tentatively, I'm planning on September the 20th, uh, Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9. I know that's early, but some people were able to come and talk. And we'll just be here September 20th in the morning, 8.30, to nine o'clock a.m. in the fellowship hall. We'll have another one on October the 4th. Uh, actually, we'll have two on October the 4th, if this works out as far as time is concerned. One at 8.30 to nine in the morning. That's Sunday morning, 8.30 to nine. And then another one immediately after the church service is over. If we can go about 11.30 to 12, you'll still beat the Methodists to the, you know, the restaurant if they're open. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we'll have one on October the 4th at 8.30 before Bible study time and then immediately after the worship service time. No lunch, but we'll get done real quick and you can go home and, and eat. This is a time for us to think about questions and raise issues and talk and at least have a chance to express some things about what we're going to be doing and, and our prayers and hopes and, and goals for uh, the, um, the church. Then, in October, uh, October 24th, on Saturday, if that's also a tentative date, but we hope we'll be able to do it then, we're going to have a church-wide Church Memories Workshop. The Church Memories Workshop is a chance to see our church history through the eyes of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be doing three sessions during that workshop. Um, hopefully, we'll have some food for you then, but it'll start, say, on Saturday about 9 in the morning, and we'll talk about uh, the way in which God has blessed this church through all these years and some of the issues that took place and the turning points and the different things that are happening. And we're going to be putting up a big mural of, um, uh, across the wall of the timeline of the church. And if you want to be able to bring some photos, we'll make sure we get them, put your name on the back of them. We'll get them back to you. But if you have photographs of, memories of your ministry here, your time here, we'd like to be able to put them on the the line of the church, the timeline, at least put it up there for a little bit for people to take a look at and kind of see how God has moved from the very beginning when, I think it's Richard or Robert Robert James, the father of Jesse James, what, what, what a wonderful thing to be known for. But anyway, who was a great missionary and a great church planner helped to plant this church back in 1840s, 1846, and then 1847. And then the timeline will go. And if you want to bring some um, uh, uh, pictures or we're going to let you write on the timeline, uh, the date you were uh, baptized or when you joined the church. And so the whole church can see through the eyes of Jesus God's hand moving in this church. So we can celebrate the great memories and we can uh, ask God to forgive us for the times we haven't been so faithful and to ask him to help us get beyond the painful times into the future. Uh, We'll be actually having at the end of that banner uh, a decade of time from 2020 to 2030 and we'll be writing there some of our hopes and interests and prayers as God leads us. If Jesus, God the Father tarries in sending the Son, it'll be a great opportunity. And we'll ask God to lead us in, in what he would have us to do. So you have several things of work to do, and I do too. And so put these on your calendar. We'll be publishing those. Uh, come and join us for a listening session. And then make a plan to be with us on the workshop, the Church Memories Workshop, as God helps us move closer or further along in this this transitional uh, process, uh, I believe God is going to help us do some great things to celebrate things that that were and to grasp and hold on to the present ministry and then to look forward to the future as God leads our church to be faithful and uh, to be honest and with integrity uh, serving Him in this community, so please be much in prayer for that, as we go on. Let's take a few minutes right now, a few moments right now, to uh, pray, and and then we'll uh, continue on in the in the sermon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you, and we ask that you will direct our hearts uh, in 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 seeking to find. Uh, your, your message for us this morning and uh, what you would have us to do uh, in terms of growing closer to you as a believer, as a faithful servant of, of, of you father and Jesus, our savior and Lord guide us to look into your word and to understand the message that we're going to look at this morning, but above all help us to be committed to our church to serve uh, as we can In the transitional process all of this requires the holy spirit's leadership and we want to ask the holy spirit to come and help us grow and deepen our faith and widen our ministry that others might know christ jesus as lord and savior and we thank you for that privilege to do that we do also recognize the value of prayer that we're going to be talking about this morning in the message and we also ask that you will help us to be mindful and committed to lifting up our nation in prayer, our church in prayer, our fellow church members, our leadership in the, in the nation and, and leadership in the world that together we'll all bend the knee to Jesus Christ and only to Jesus Christ. And we ask, Father, that this will be a time when you will be able to help others through the, the death of Jesus on the cross, see that their hope lies in Jesus, and many will come to know you, and many will receive Christ. Many will walk with him as Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've heard a lot of different um, quotes about prayer. Some of you may know them. There are some come from Scripture, some other places. One is pray without ceasing, right? That's always a good one. Paul said that. But I happened to be reading the other day and I came across this one quote. It said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Have you ever heard that before? More things are accomplished or wrought. This is old language, old English, you know. More things are wrought or accomplished by prayer than this world dreams of. So I got curious and I was actually an English major in college So I got out my books and tried to find the quote, and then then I gave up and then just went to the internet and found it really quickly. And it comes from Lord Tennyson, uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, one of the, I think, the poet laureates of England, who was a a great speaker, a great poet, and he wrote a book or a, a, a big, long poem called Idols of the King, and what I didn't realize is the context from which this quote came from. I've heard it used lots and lots of times, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of, but I didn't realize that it was spoken by King Arthur in a work called Idols of the King. Now, Lord Tennyson took the old legend about the death of King Arthur, you know, King Arthur and the round table, and all those gallant knights and so forth and so on in the age of chivalry. And he wrote this poem about Arthur's life and his death. And in his death, while he's dying, he says to all of those knights that are around him, people that are watching over him, he says to them, pray for my soul. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Then he goes on to say, Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep or goats that nourish a blind life within the brain, if knowing God they lift not hands of prayer both for themselves and for those who call them friends? For so the whole world, the whole round earth, is every way bound by gold chains about the feet of God. Now, of course... Lord Tennyson is putting words in the mouth of author because author is a legend and nobody ever recorded this message, you understand, or this prayer. But author, Lord Tennyson, was trying to tell us something. He was trying to say that prayer is seriously important. How important it is, we never really ever know. Because God controls the whole of the earth and the whole of the earth is bound like uh, with gold chains about the foot of God. But man's responsibility, if he really cares, and if we really know God, is to pray, is to talk to God, is to lift up hands of prayer, both for themselves and for other people that they know who call them friends, who call call them friends. And he's sort of chiding his world by suggesting that scientific ideology decides to rule out the presence or the existence of God. But life itself is bound up with the very presence of God and God's working in the world. And prayer becomes a seriously important part of it. That's not a bad idea or a series of ideas. But it's a legend in the sense that Arthur, well we think he existed now, there seems to be some evidence, but obviously the story of his death has been told over and over and over again becomes a legend, a saga. There is another quote that I like, that I think has more pertinent value, more serious significance for us today for the church, and specifically for this transitional period. So I like to preach on this, I found uh, in a book uh, written by another pastor this little outline, and I've appropriated the outline, everything else I'm saying is mine, but I liked what he said. He said, ask in prayer, A-S-K, and he pointed out Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And you know this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. In fact, that's a pretty good quote. Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open unto you. That's a good thing. Jesus said that. If you've got a red letter Bible, it's all in red. This is Jesus telling his disciples some of the significance of prayer. Now, like the context of Arthur's statement, King Arthur's statement, we also have to learn the context of this quote. Rather than just say it by itself, we have to understand what undergirds it, what the reason for it was, what was happening at the same time. And we realize that Jesus is giving in the chapters here and ending in 7 and 8, the Sermon on the Mount. It's his big teaching to his disciples there on the side of the Sea of Galilee, speaking to the people that had congregated. He was telling them all about himself, all about what would happen, all about how they could be faithful participants, faithful disciples in the kingdom of God. And it's an amazing thing. You know the Beatitudes, you know the model prayer. There's a lot of stuff in there that talks about not being anxious but trusting God. And so he comes down to the very conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount and he gives them this statement. But he doesn't just give it to them once, he elaborates on it. So let me read verses, let me read chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 7. Through eleven, Actually, we'll read through 12, but we'll talk about 7 through 11. 12 fits in here, but it's the total, kind of the conclusion of everything that he's been talking about before. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Then, of course, 12 finishes up this section. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's called the golden rule. And that really is a conclusion almost to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, how we treat others and how God loves us. But in verses 7 through 11, Jesus is getting them to understand two things. And he does it in a magnificent, fun, and really artistic way but a way that underscores these two points. The two points are that we can ask, we can seek, we can have a connection with God. And the second thing is, is that we can have a certainty that God will answer. Now that's amazing. If God is a God out there and he's just being hidden or he, he, he's somewhere in the, you know, the Russian cosmonaut who went up in the, in the first spaceship that they sent up there, looked around, he says, I don't see God. God must not exist. But God's there in the world, and the question is, is he knowable? Can we connect with him? The Bible clearly says over and over and over again that God created us with the purpose of having fellowship with us having a connection with us. He didn't just start us off and then sit back in the rocking chair, as much popular ideas have it. That He's just sitting up there watching us, and he's just letting things go as they are. When we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is given to us, that Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that God cares. He cared enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. He cares enough to be involved in our life, your life and my life. And that's important. That's a very serious theological truth. If somebody doesn't believe God and you go and ask them, what do they think God would be like if there was a God? They're likely to say he would try to interact with his creation. Well, that's sort of what we're talking about here. God created us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. Jesus has gone through the Sermon on the Mount all talking about this relationship. And he comes now to the point to say, look, guys, you can ask. You can seek God. You can try and and find out how that relationship works. What are you going to do about it is basically what he's saying. But the point is that we have the right to connect and to seek this awesome God who created the world. That, to me, is kind of amazing. But the second thing he says there, too, is that we can be certain that God will answer. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually uh, gives the disciples... Uh, a lesson on their ability to live in a true kingdom life in this fallen world. In other words, how would they be a believer and live in this kind of a world? That is, at the end here, Jesus tells the disciples how to appropriate all the principles that he's talked about of living a kingdom-focused life, how to be part of the kingdom of God, and to remind them that they can't do it by themselves, It's not something that they can, on their own power or their own ingenuity, their own strength, do it. But instead, that they have now a connection, a relationship, whereby they should approach the Father with the expectations or the expectation that he will enable them, he will answer them to live this kingdom life. God supplies this help when disciples pray when they seek him. You see the connection? God wants to have a connection with us, but he wants us to seek him. That's another thing about God. He doesn't want to force his will on us like we're mindless robots. He gave Jesus to die on the cross so that we willingly can seek him and want to know him and walk with him. Of course, our own fallenness and sinfulness gets in the way, but the point is, we can even take that to the Lord and ask Him to help us with it so that we can have a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are in the kingdom period. We're living as disciples. Jesus died on the cross. And God set it up to be able to make sure that we have a way to live. And that way to live is appropriating and gaining and understanding and putting into practice those principles that help us to live. But God wants us to come to Him to not only have and to fulfill and deepen that relationship, but also to see His marvelous care in answering our prayers. God answers prayers. And God wants us to go to Him in prayer. Now, Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 7, contains three phrases. And each of the phrases has two parts. It starts off with what we call an imperative, a command, and then it finally ends with what we could call a predictive response. In other words, the imperative is said and then there's going to be response to it if the imperative is fulfilled. You follow me? If you do the command, you can be certain that there is this response that's going to happen. And what's unique about this is that there are three of these and they build on each other, and they have a kind of, uh, well, some, some scholars think they're just three equally, but I think that they, they tend to build on a level of more intensity and more intimacy, see? And, and when you get to what Jesus is saying, and then the illustrations that he gives afterwards, we get a deeper understanding and respect for what God is doing here. Number one, we're going to ask with simplicity, now the imperative is ask. This is what he says, ask, see there it is. Ask indita- indicates coming to God with humility and consciousness of need as, uh, as a child might come to their parents. Or, you know, you gotta come and ask, uh, you know, ask. So my kids would say, can I do this, dad? I'd say, ask your mother, <laughs> right? She'd say, go ask your dad. But asking is important. Jesus said, you've got to ask. Don't expect God to shower everything on you. He's not that kind of a God. He wants to be interactive with you like a parent to a child. So we are God's children. He wants us to ask in childlike simplicity and faith. I mean, as a child, we need to keep on asking for things because we can't do all the things that parents can do. Well, even you might think of, well, I'm, I'm pretty old. We're still God's children, and we still need to ask him to help us because there are things in our spiritual lives that we can't really do ourselves. There are things that God can do for us that he can encourage us and help us, but he wants us to ask. Now, the response, Jesus says simply, ask, and it will be given to you. Now, ask, the imperative, means that you've got to do it. If you don't do it, And it isn't going to work, but the response is if you do it, you can be guaranteed that it will work. So Jesus says, "Ask, and it will be given to you." Notice He doesn't talk about what to ask for, but we'll get for that to that in a minute, okay? But He says, "Ask, and it will be given to you." We are God's children, and we have to ask. It's a future indicative, which means it's going to happen. Note verse seven, ver, uh, I mean, chapter 7, verse 8, for everyone who asks receives. This is his response. This is his reiteration of what he's trying to say. If you ask, you'll receive. Now he doesn't quite say what you'll get, but he says you've got to ask, and then God gives you what you want. I mean, I wasn't going to give my kids a big you know, second and third helpings of ice cream, even though they asked for it, because doing that didn't help them. You know, they already were bouncing off the walls on sugar highs, so I didn't need to give them more sugar. You know, a parent does that, because we're looking out for the best for our children, and that's what God is doing. Secondly, we are to seek with intensity. And I think that you can ask, And then you need to go seek. And this is why I think it's growing in terms of its passion and its intensity. And Jesus said, seek and you will find. The imperative is seek. Seek links links one's prayer with the responsible activity in pursuing God's will. In other words, we need to really seek God's will. We really need to ask the question, what would God have me to do? What would God have our church to do? That's where we need to seek it. We need to pray about it. We need to study the scriptures. It's, you know, it's like when a person prays for a job and then at the same time checks out the leads because you have to kind of figure out where God is moving, what God is wanting you to do. So seeking involves a little bit more than just asking. Sometimes in prayer we need to seek things Rather than just ask, we actually need to see which door God is going to open up, which avenue he wants us to walk down, which way he chooses for us to go. We need to seek that, and we need to trust him, test the spirits, but try to see what he's wanting us to do. So Jesus says, seek, and you will find. Seeking brings discovery in finding. We discover God's Word. We discover His promises, His blessings. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Precious souls are found when we seek out the lost and bring them to Christ. Have you ever prayed that God will show you the person you need to pray for for this year? To pray for their salvation, to interact with them, that they might come to know Christ? Those um, who have Daniel 12, 3, we don't normally quote Daniel, but those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We need to lead people to righteousness, but we've got to seek them. We've got to ask the Lord, how can we do that? And then Jesus' predictive response is, if you seek, you will find. Seek and you will find. So here is what God is calling us to do, to seek His will, seek His heart, seek Him, seek those who need to know Him, seek how to be deeper in our faith and to walk closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you will find it. You will do it. In verse eight, Jesus repeats it. He says, and the one who seeks finds. So the certainty is that God will respond. The certainty is that God will help us in our desire to seek him. Ask with simplicity, seek with intensity, thirdly, knock with persistency. In verse 7, the last part of it, of these last three phrases, notice he's had this imperative followed by a response. Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Then he says, knock. And the door will be open to you. Now, I think this is the most intimate of all because you might have somebody come to visit you and they'll knock on the door, but you might crack it open or look through the peephole or say, who is it? But Jesus is saying here, when you knock on the door to God's kingdom, God will open it to you and invite you to come in. And to the intimacy of walking with God is a joy. Jesus, in Revelation, you know that famous passage he talks about, he stands at the door and knocks, and we open it up to him, and, and he comes in. And that picture there is, is maybe what Jesus is somewhat saying here, but we're doing the knocking. Knocking includes perseverance in one's asking and seeking. As when the disciples perseveres in praying for his unbelieving family salvation and speaks and lives the gospel throughout his lifetime. I've known some people who've prayed for their loved ones, their brothers, their sisters, their spouses, their neighbors, their friends. And it takes sometimes a lifetime, but they keep praying. They keep knocking because they believe that when they knock, that they'll get a response. Persistent knocking gets a response. Persistent knocking means prevailing prayer, fasting, all night in prayer if need be. Persistent knocking gains an entrance into the treasures of God's presence. Persistent knocking calls for determination. Sometimes it takes God, uh, it takes time for God to answer certain of our prayers. We have to be willing to be on His time, not our time. You know there's Eastern Standard and Central Standard. Well, have you heard of God's Standard Time? That's His time. And His time is when He works, when He moves. And sometimes He's not ready yet, but He likes it if we keep knocking. And He blesses us because we do that. The predictive response is the door will be open to you. And then if you look, down in the next verse, in verse 8, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's a certainty to that. It's a certainty that when we ask, it will be given to us. When we seek, we'll find it. When we knock, it'll be, the door will be opened for us. This is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. All that I have told you illustrates and speaks to the character of being in the kingdom, the faithful disciple. And all of this can be yours, but you need to respond. You need to ask and seek and knock because God will do this for you and even greater things more than that. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus clarifies what he's saying here. See, the context is not that he just gives us the little sound bite. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. He wants to illustrate that, what that means, and he wants to guide us to understand how to do this. And he says, in the two illustrations, he says, If your child asks for bread, would you give him a stone? It's a rhetorical question. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Staple food in the Jewish diet included bread and fish, especially when he's up there on the Sermon on the Mount, and there's the Sea of Galilee, and they've been fishing. And he called his disciples from fishermen. And he's saying to them, if your kid says to you, hey, I'm hungry, Dad, and... I'd like some bread, and you give him a stone. Is that being a good parent? He says, hey, I'm, I want a fish, I wanna eat something. And you give him a snake. It's not being a good parent. Unfortunately, we've had parents today who do that. And sometimes we discover parents who are monstrous in not trying to take care of their children. But God is not that way. And of course, the rhetorical question is that you wouldn't do this. This is Jesus' illustration. So he's going to invite you to consider God as your parent. Do you think God would give you a stone instead of bread? Do you think God would give you a snake instead of a fish? That's what Jesus is asking here. He's trying to get them to understand that God would never hurt us or seek our detriment but would always supply us what we need. If a responsible fa- father will supply his children precisely what they need on a daily basis, because that's what the Sermon on the Mount talked about, you know, not, not worrying about, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. If if God, if a, if a uh, uh, an evil, sinful, individual, human, would take care of their children, don't you think the Heavenly Father, who is absolutely trustworthy, will always give to his children, the disciples, what they really need? Not what they think they need, but they really need. And the clincher is in verse 11. The clincher is what needs to be thought about in relationship to our church and what we're doing going through the transitional process. Because you know, in the transitional process, we need to ask and seek and knock for God to show us his way, to show us what he would have our church to do. Not only what he would have us to do as believers, but what are we supposed to do as a church. And we need to pray this way. We need to, to really just uh, assail, if you want to use that term, the the heights of heaven, asking God to respond and trusting that he will. Look in verse 11. He says, If you then, who are sinful humans, actually know how to give good things to your children, you you know how to give them bread and fish, food, if you know how to do that, and this is what Jesus said, this is a technique called the light and the heavy. If the light thing that doesn't weigh much is true, how much more will you get the heavy thing? See, it's called it's called Calva Homer. It's a it's a interpretative principle that's used in Judaism in, in the time of Jesus. And Jesus said, if this is the case, how much more will this be the case? This is what he says. If you know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, the good things are what we're supposed to ask for. Not the self-centered things, not the evil things, but the good blessings of God. And I'm not talking about here prosperity gospel. I'm talking about learning how to experience life and all of its issues, its ups and its downs, its mountaintop experiences, and its, and its abysmal depths. God teaches us how to live. Along the way, he gives us what we need. Sure, there's stuff in the Sermon on the Mount about the sparrows. God knows when one of those falls, and he'll take care of us even more so. But Jesus says here, if you ask, you can trust that the Almighty Father is going to give you things beyond what you even realize could happen. How much more? How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? See, I believe that God is wanting this church to take a good look at itself, a good look at its community, a good look at the way it can minister and serve, and then ask God to help us enliven that process, deepen that process, Meditation, that work that we do in order to produce a response that will go far beyond who we are and our own abilities to accomplish His will through us in our community, both locally and and statewide and nationally and even around the world. God will give us the ability if we take the time to ask and to seek and to knock. God will give us all of the wonderful and good things according to his will and according to his love for us as his children. Somebody said, well, why doesn't God give me according to my will? Well, you stop and think about it. If you're a a parent, are you going to give your child everything he wants according to his will? That's what we call spoiling kids, you know? That's what grandparents like to do and then send the kids home and the parents have to mop it up and deal with it, right? The point is that God has 100% our benefit, 100% our growth, 100% our training and blessing in his heart and in his mind for us if we will ask and seek and knock. It doesn't mean that we'll get what we want, but God will give us what we need What we need to live in a godly, honest, faithful witness and testimony for him. He will take those rough corners of our lives and who we are and shape in those and round them so that they will be a blessing to the world. So that God will get the glory for making us and molding us into the believers that we need to be and there will be many who will see us and hear us and come to know the awesome glory of God. That's God's purpose. And all of the things he's wanting to give to us is in ready and waiting and close to us if we will ask and seek and knock. How do we apply this? Well, first obviously we get serious about prayer. We need to commit to prayer. I, I've been in prayer groups where, you know, you think you can go around and pray, and then somebody says, I beg to be relieved, or whatever you say, I beg, some, some phrase. I can't pass me by, go on, I'm not going to pray. You know, and I'm thinking, that's kind of like a Christian saying they don't want to talk to God, in a way. Now, I know maybe you would be embarrassed a little bit because you don't think you can speak in public. But prayer isn't speaking in public. It's not for other people to gauge whether you, who you are, a great speaker or whatnot. Really, when you pray in an intimate group or you pray by yourself, it's just you and God. You're talking to God. You're praying to Him. The Bible is clear. The New Testament has examples of these great pompous prayers by by, by Pharisees and others who say, Oh God, I'm so glad I'm a great person. You know? But God's not interested in that. He's interested in us coming to him humbly and saying, I'm a sinner, Lord. I need your help. I thank you for your forgiveness. I adore you. I confess my sins. I'm going to bring my thanksgiving to you and then raise my supplications. Teach me how to see through the world's problems and know what you want me to do. Not what I want to do, but what you want me to do. So I think we need to get serious about prayer. If you want this transitional process to work, pray for it, earnestly for it. I'm so excited that I've got about 10 people already who are being my prayer partners, and then this morning I just had a Sunday school class tell me they all want to be in the Sunday school class, my prayer partners. I'm excited. Uh, I really am happy. I'm thanking God, but it's not prayer just for me. It's prayer for your church, and those of you who are prayer partners saw that I sent out the first message it's about the church it's about the transitional process I'm asking for prayer for me to give me the strength and the encouragement to help do it but I want the church to pray for themselves if you want this to be successful and God to put to put Providence Baptist Church on the map not because of its own sake or for its own sake because that's not what we're here for We're not trying to be a mega church. We're not trying to do everything in the world. We don't want to be on the news. We don't want to be, you know, interviewed for how we did it, what, what we did. We want to be on God's radar, on his news. We want the angels to sit down for their morning coffee and the news up there in heaven say, hey, look at this little church who has a tremendous impact for the rest of the world for Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do it for. We want to be able to know how God can use us in such a mighty way that all of the world can be changed because we're being faithful and we're asking God to teach us how to be faithful servants. We're seeking His will. We're knocking to have an intimate relationship with Him. We need to study how to pray better. So get out and and find a notebook. Start a prayer notebook read scriptures, collect them that talk about prayer, and then exercise your prayer skills. As I said before, pray, 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 and then pray some more. Just keep praying for each one of us as believers and for our church together and the impact that we need to do to win others to the Lord in the transitional process. We can talk more about prayer skills, and we can learn more about them, but the one thing we have to do is be committed to praying. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning, to be committing to praying. C.S. Lewis, in a book entitled Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer, said this, Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. What I think C.S. Lewis is saying is what Paul said, pray without ceasing. We don't pray one day and we've got our quota done. We have to do it every day. We have to go to the Lord every day. Will you pray with me as we go through this transitional process? Will you pray with me as we seek to be that church that is faithful? Will you pray with me that our witness and testimony will reach out through our friends and neighbors because we talk to them? Will you pray with me that we will find one person this year that we can pray for, for their salvation, for them to get right with God? Will you pray with me that God will show His Spirit through this church to the world that the world might come to know Jesus Christ? Will you do that with me? That's what I'm asking for us to do. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. i um, not quite sure what it is. Let's see. Uh, oh, come to the altar. So if the musicians will come forward and sing this song, and make it your commitment to pray with me that God's will be done in our lives and in the lives of our church.